Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse of the link atop for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson that they sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from 9.40, whoopsie, from 9.15 to 10.45 a.m. Eastern. And today we are continuing our reading of Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection. This section four, sin as an adjustment. We're also mindful of our lesson today, lesson 227. This is my holy instant of release. And by way of opening this morning, uh, I felt like this poem from Rumi is just utterly perfect. The poem is called Zero Circle. Zero Circle. Be helpless, dumbfounded, unable to say yes or no. Then a stretcher will come from grace to gather us up. We're too dull light to see that beauty. If we say we can, we're lying. If we say no, we don't see it. That no will behead us and shut tight our window onto spirit. So let us rather not be sure of anything beside ourselves and only that. So miraculous beings come running to help, crazed, lying in a zero circle, mute. We shall be saying finally, with tremendous eloquence, lead us. When we have totally surrendered to that beauty, we shall be a mighty kindness. This is my holy instant of release. Amen. Just wonderful. Thank you, Laurie. Yes, thank you. Oh, beautiful, Laurie. Thank you. Oh, thanks, thanks you guys. Laurie. I really, you bet. I really love that one, uh, especially for Holy Instant. So, thank you. And here's our reading list this morning. We have Lee, Lemoyne, Robin Marie, Fran, Jessica, Karen, and Micah. And we're joined in listening this morning by Reverend Rita, Harrison, and Lana. Has anyone else joined us that would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Hi, it's Mary. I'll be listening. Hi, Mary. All righty. So here we go. And in Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection. Section 4, Sin as an Adjustment. Paragraph 16, the belief in sin is an adjustment. And an adjustment is a change, a shift in perception or a belief that what was so before has been made different. Every adjustment is therefore a distortion and calls upon defenses to uphold it against reality. 
Knowledge requires no adjustment and, in fact, is lost if any shift or change is undertaken. For this reduces it at once to mere perception, a way of looking in which certainty is lost and doubt has entered. To this impaired condition are adjustments necessary because they are not true. Who need adjust to truth which calls on only what he is to understand? We. Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection. Section 4, Sin as an Adjustment. The belief in sin is an adjustment, and an adjustment is a change, a shift in perception or a belief that what was so before has been made different. Every adjustment is therefore a distortion and calls upon defenses to uphold it against reality. Knowledge requires no adjustment and in fact is lost if any shift or change is undertaken. For this reduces it at once to mere perception, a way of looking in which certainty is lost and doubt has entered. To this impaired condition are adjustments necessary because they are not true. Who need adjust to truth which calls on only what he is to understand. Adjustments of any kind are of the ego, for it is the ego's fixed belief that all relationships depend upon adjustments to make of them what it would have them be. Direct relationships in which there are no interferences are always seen as dangerous. The ego is the self-appointed mediator of all relationships, making whatever adjustments it deems necessary and interposing them between those who would meet to keep them separate and prevent their union. It is this studied interference which makes it difficult for you to recognize your holy relationship for what it is. Thank you, Lee. And Lemoyne. Adjustments of any kind are of the ego. For it is the ego's fixed belief that all relationships depend on adjustments to make of them what it would have them be. Direct relationships in which there are no interferences are always seen as dangerous. The ego is a self-appointed mediator of all relationships, making whatever adjustments it deems necessary and interposing them between those who would meet to keep them separate and prevent their union. It is this studied interference <clears throat> which makes it difficult for you to recognize your holy relationship for what it is. 
The holy do not interfere with truth. They are not afraid of it, for it is within the truth they recognize their holiness and rejoice at what they saw. They looked on it directly without attempting to adjust themselves to it or it to them. And so they saw it was in them, not deciding first where they would have it be. Their looking merely asked a question, and it was what they saw that answered them. You you make the world and then adjust to it, and it to you. Nor is there any difference between yourself and it in your perception, which made them both. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Robin Marie. Eighteen. The holy do not interfere with truth. They are not afraid of it. For it is within the truth they recognize their holiness and rejoiced at what they saw. They looked on it directly without attempting to adjust themselves to it or it to them. And so they saw that it was in them not deciding first where they would have it be. They're looking merely asked a question, and it was what they saw that answered them. You make the world and then adjust to it and it to you. Nor is there any difference between yourself and it in your perception, which made them both 19. A simple question yet remains and needs an answer. Do you like what you have made? A world of murder and attack through which you thread your timid way through constant dangers, alone and frightened, hoping at most that death will wait a little longer before it overtakes you and you disappear? You made this up. It is a picture of what you think you are, of how you see yourself. A murderer is frightened, and those who kill fear death. All these are but the fearful thoughts of those who would adjust themselves to a world made fearful by their adjustments. And they look out in sorrow from what is sad within and see the sadness there. Thank you, Robin Marie and Fran. 19. A simple question Excuse me. A simple question yet remains and needs an answer. Do you like what you have made? A world of murder and attack through which you thread your timid way through constant dangers, alone and frightened, hoping at most that death will wait a little longer before it overtakes you (coughs) and you disappear. You made this up. It is a picture of what you think you are, of how you see yourself. A murderer is frightened, and those who kill fear death. All these are but the fearful thoughts of those who would adjust themselves to a world made fearful by their adjustments. And they look out in sorrow from what is sad within and see the sadness there. 20. Have you not wondered what the world is really like? How it would look through happy eyes? The world you see is but a judgment on yourself. It is not there at all. Yet judgment lays a sentence on it, justifies it, 
and makes it real. Such is the world you see, a judgment on yourself and made by you. This sickly picture of yourself is carefully preserved by the ego, whose image it is and which it loves, and placed outside you in the world. And to this world must you adjust, as long as you believe this picture is outside and has you at its mercy. The world is merciless, and were it outside you, you should indeed be fearful. Yet it was you who made it merciless. And now, if mercilessness seems to look back at you, it can be corrected. Thank you, Fran. And Jessica. Okay, 20. Have you not wondered what the world is really for? How it would look through happy eyes? The world you see is but a judgment on yourself. It is not there at all. Yet judgment lays a sentence on it, justifies it, and makes it real. Such is the world you see, a judgment on yourself and made by you. This sickly picture of yourself is carefully preserved by the ego whose image it is and which it loves and placed outside you in the world. And to this world must you adjust as long as you believe this picture is outside and has you at its mercy. This world is merciless and were it outside you, you should indeed be fearful. Yet it was you who made it merciless. And now, if mercilessness seems to look back at you, it can be corrected. 21. Who in a holy relationship can long remain unholy? The world, the holy, see, is one with them, just as the world the ego looks upon is like itself. The world, the holy, see, is beautiful, because they see their innocence in it. They did not tell it what it was. They did not make adjustments to fit their orders. They gently questioned it and whispered, What are you? And he who watches over all perception answered, Take not the judgment of the world as answer to the question, What am I? Thank you, Jessica. And Karen. 21. Who in a holy relationship can long remain unholy? The world the holy see is one with them, just as the world the ego looks upon is like itself. The worldly see is beautiful. And because they see their innocence in it, I'm sorry, the world the Holy See is beautiful because they see their innocence in it. They did not tell it what, what they did not tell it what it was. They did not make adjustments to fit their orders. They gently questioned it and whispered, "What are you?" And he who watches over all perception answered. Take not the judgment of the world 
as answer to the question, what am I? 22. The world believes in sin, but the belief that made it as you see it is not outside you. Seek not to make the Son of God adjust to his insanity. There is a stranger in him who wandered carelessly into the home of truth and who will wander off. He came without a purpose, but he will not remain before the shining light the Holy Spirit offered and you accepted. For there the stranger is made homeless, and you are welcome. Thank you, Karen. And Micah. Uh, Okay. According to the world believes in sin, but the belief that made it as you see it is not outside you. Seek not to make the Son of God adjust to his insanity. There is a stranger in him who wandered carelessly into the home of truth and who will wander off. He came without a purpose, but he will not remain before the shining light the Holy Spirit offered and you accepted. For there the stranger is made homeless, and you are welcome. 23. Ask not this transient stranger, what am I? He is the only thing in all the universe that does not know. Yet it is he you ask, and it is to his answer that you would adjust. This one wild thought, fierce in its arrogance, and yet so tiny and so meaningless, it slips unnoticed through the universe of truth, becomes your guide. To it you turn to ask the meaning of the universe, and of the one blind thing in all the seeing universe of truth, you ask, how shall I look upon the Son of God? Thank you, Micah. And is there a new reader for 23 and 24? This is Sandra. I can read. Thanks, Sandra. 23. Ask not this transient stranger, what am I? He is the only thing in all the universe that does not know. Yet, It is he you ask, and it is to his answer that you would adjust. This one wild thought, fierce in its arrogance, and yet so tiny and so meaningless, it slips unnoticed through the universe of truth, becomes your guide. To it you turn to ask the meaning of the universe, and of the one blind thing in all the seeing universe of truth you ask, How shall I look upon the Son of God? 24. Does one ask judgment of what is totally bereft of judgment? And if you have, would you believe the answer and adjust it as as if it were the truth? The world you look on is the answer that it gave you. 
and you have given it power to adjust the world to make its answer true. You ask this puff of madness for the meaning of your unholy relationship and adjusted it according to its insane answer. How happy did it make you? Did you meet with joy to bless the Son of God and give him thanks for all the happiness which he held out to you? Did you recognize each other as the eternal gift of God to you? Did you see the holiness that shone in both of you bless the other? That is the purpose of your holy relationship. Ask not the means of its attainment of the one thing that still would have it be holy, be unholy. Give it no power to adjust the means and end. Thank you, Sandra. And would there be another new reader for 24 and 25? Okay, Lee, back to you. Does one ask judgment of what is totally bereft of judgment? And if you have, would you believe the answer and adjust to it as if it were the truth? The world you look on is the answer that it gave you. You have given it power to adjust the world to make its answer true. You ask this puff of madness for the meaning of your unholy relationship and adjusted it according to its insane answer. How happy did it make you? Did you meet with joy to bless the Son of God and give him thanks for all the happiness which he held out to you? Did you recognize each other as the eternal gift of God to you? Did you see the holiness that shone in both of you to bless the other? That is the purpose of your holy relationship. Ask not the means of its attainment, of the one thing that still would have it be unholy. Give it no power to adjust the means and end. 25. Prisoners bound with heavy chains for years, starved and emaciated, weak and exhausted, and with eyes so long cast down in darkness, they remember not the light. Do not leap up in joy the instant they're made free. It takes a while for them to understand what freedom is, you groped but feebly in the dust and found each other's hand, uncertain whether to let it go or take hold on life so long forgotten. Strengthen your hold. Raise your eyes unto your strong companion in whom the meaning of your freedom lies. He seemed to be crucified beside you, and yet his holiness remained untouched and perfect and with him beside you you shall this day enter with him to paradise and know the peace of God thank you Lee 
And Lemoyne. Prisoners bound with heavy chains for years, starved and emaciated, weak and exhausted, and with eyes so long cast down in darkness, they remember not the light. Do not leap up in joy the instant they are made free. It takes a while for them to understand what freedom is. You grope but feebly in the dust and found each other's hand, uncertain whether to let it go or to take hold on life so long forgotten. Strengthen your hold and raise your eyes unto your strong companion, in whom the meaning of your freedom lies. He seemed to be crucified beside you, and yet his holiness remained untouched and perfect, and with him beside you, you shall this day enter with him to paradise and know the peace of God. Such is my will for both of you and for each of you, for one another and for himself. Here there is only holiness and joining without limit. For what is heaven but union, direct and perfect, and without the veil of fear upon it? Here we are here are we one, looking with perfect gentleness upon each other and on ourselves. Here are here all thoughts of any separation between us become impossible. You who were prisoners in separation are now made free in paradise. And here would I unite with you, my friends, my brothers, and myself. Your gift unto each other has given me the certainty our union will be soon. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Robin Marie. 26. Such is my will for both of you, and for each of you, for one another, and for himself. Here there is only holiness and joining without limit. For what is heaven but union, direct and perfect, and without the veil of fear upon it? Here are we one looking with perfect gentleness upon each other and on ourselves. Here, all thoughts of any separation between us become impossible. You who are prisoners in separation are now made free in paradise. And here would I unite with you, my friends, my brothers, and myself. Your gift unto each other has given me the certainty our union will be soon. 27. Share then this faith with me and know that it is justified. There is no fear in perfect love because it knows no sin and it must look on others as on itself. Looking with charity within, what can it fear without? The innocent sees safety and the pure in heart see God within his Son and look unto the Son to lead them to the Father. And where else would they go, but where they will to be? Each of you now will lead the other to the Father, 
as surely as God created his son holy and kept him so. In your brother is the light of God's eternal promise of your immortality. See him as sinless, and there can be no fear in you. Thank you, Robin Marie and Fran. 27. Share then this faith with me and know that it is justified. There is no fear in perfect love because it knows no sin and it must look on others as on itself. Looking with charity within, what can it fear without? The innocent see safety and the pure in heart see God within his son and look upon the son to lead them to the father. And where else would they go but where they will to be? Each of you now will lead the other to the Father as surely as God created his Son holy and kept him so. In your brother is the light of God's eternal promise of your immortality. See him as sinless and there can be no fear in you. Thank you, Fran. And thank you for everyone who read this morning. And let's see, just a little summary of section four, sin is an adjustment from that first paragraph. The belief in sin is an adjustment. And an adjustment is a change, a shift in perception or a belief that what was so before has been made different. Every adjustment is therefore a distortion and calls upon defenses to uphold it against reality. Knowledge requires no adjustment, and in fact is lost if any shift or change is undertaken. For this reduces it at once to mere perception, a way of looking in which certainty is lost and doubt has entered. To this impaired condition are adjustments necessary because they are not true. Who need a just truth which calls on only what he is to understand? And in 17, adjustments of any kind are of the ego. The ego is a self-appointed mediator of all relationships, interposing adjustments between those who would meet and keep them separate and prevent their union. In 18, the holy do not adjust, I'm sorry, the holy do not interfere with truth. They are not afraid of it, for it is within the truth they recognize their holiness and rejoice at what they saw. The ego makes the world and then adjusts to it and it to you. In 19, a simple question yet remains and needs an answer. Do you like what you have made? You made this up. It is a picture of what you think you are, of how you see yourself. In 20, let's see, we have just one unmuted line I'll touch here. In 20, have you not wondered what the world is really like? How it would look through happy eyes? The world you see is but an adjustment on yourself. It is not there at all. Yet judgment lays a sentence on it, justifies it, and makes it real. Such is the world you see, a judgment on yourself, and made by you. 
In 27, who in a holy relationship can long remain unholy? The world the holy see is one with them, just as the world the ego looks upon is like itself. The world the holy see is beautiful because they see their innocence in it. They gently questioned it and whispered, What are you? And he who watches over all perception answered, 22. The world believes in sin, but the belief that made it as you see it is not outside you. Seek not to make the Son of God adjust to his insanity. There's a stranger in him who wandered carelessly into the home of truth, and who will wander off. He came without a purpose. Ask not this transient stranger, what am I? He is the only thing in all the universe that does not know. And it is he you asked, and it is he, yet it is he you asked, and it is to his answer that you would adjust. And of the one blind thing in all the seen universe of truth, you ask, how shall I look upon the Son of God? In 24, the world you look on is the answer that it gave you, and you have given it power to adjust the world to make its answer true. How happy did it make you? Did it meet with joy to bless the Son of God and give him thanks for all the happiness which he held out to you? Did you recognize each other as the eternal gift of God to you? Did you see the holiness that shone in both of you to bless the other? That is the purpose of your holy relationship. In 25, it takes a while for us to understand what freedom is. But you found each other's hand. Strengthen your hold and raise your eyes unto your strong companion in whom the meaning of your freedom lies. And you shall this day enter with him to paradise and know the peace of God. Such is my will for both of you, for each of you, for one another, and for himself. Here there is only holiness and joining without limit. For what is heaven but union, direct and perfect, and without the veil of fear upon it? Here are we one, looking with perfect gentleness upon each other and on ourselves. Here all thoughts of any separation between us become impossible. You who were prisoners in separation are now made free in paradise. And here would I unite with you, my friends, my brothers, and my capital self. In 27, share then this faith with me and know that it is justified. There is no fear in perfect love because it knows no sin. And it must look on others as on itself. Looking with charity within, what can it fear without? The innocent see safety, and the pure in heart see God within his Son, and look into the Son to lead them to the Father. In your brother is the light of God's eternal promise of your immortality. See him as sinless, and there can be no fear in you. Amen. And we have a few minutes before the floors, before the top of the hour, so the floor is open. Thank you.
Nice, thank Lori. You. Thank you. Yeah. Good morning, this is Sandra, and um, it's short and sweet. I have to say that uh, I am so grateful to know my own innocence at this point in my life because um, I think I can connect all my suffering, all of it, with somehow feeling guilty. Guilty that I couldn't do anything right, guilty that there was something wrong with me <laughs> you know but those that was what was programmed into me and it was such a relief to let go of that programming and to do my personal inventory which I've done and I continue to do regularly and finally just let it go I'm not guilty I have made mistakes yes but that's how my creator looks at them. They're mistakes, and I have forgiven myself for them. And I have made amends. I have gone to the people that I have made mistakes with and asked for forgiveness and said I was sorry. But some of those people don't want to let go. And, but that's my choice. I, can, I, have, I cannot let another person let me feel guilty or make me feel guilty. It has to come from inside of me. And that is such a relief that no one can, can project guilt onto me. It has to come from inside out. And from inside out, I see myself as God sees me, not as anybody else sees me. And I have nothing to be guilty about. I am innocent. And I see, because I see myself as innocent, I see all those around me as innocent. They're just, they haven't evolved. They're, in, they're not complete yet. So as long as I hold the space for them and hold the space for myself as innocent, then, and turn it over to my Holy Spirit, now it's all in God's hands. And I can just relax, be in the moment, in gratitude, and enjoy this beautiful life. I'm, I'm complete. Oh, Wonderful, you, Sandra. Sandra. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sandra. I loved your emphasis on inside me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Well, and you know what? You just you set it up perfectly for the top of the hour. Uh, where we review our lesson, this is my holy instant of release. 
Um, and so once again, Fran has volunteered to lead our reflection today. I'll turn it over to you, Fran. Thank you, Lori. Hi, everybody. We are in the second part of the workbook, and our theme is what is forgiveness. And the lesson for today, <coughs> lesson 227, <coughs> excuse me, lesson 227, this is my holy instant of release. And I will read some from the theme, which we are asked to study every day. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in this view are all your sins forgiven. An unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt. Although it is not true, the mind is closed and will not be released. An unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. Distortion is its purpose and the means by which it would accomplish it as well. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. <coughs> it, offends no <coughs> excuse me. it offends no aspect of reality, nor seeks to twist it to appearance that it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Do nothing then, and let forgiveness show you what to do through him, who is your guide, your savior and defender, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already, for such is his function given him by God. Now must you share his function and forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees, and whom he honors as the Son of God. Now we'll go over to the lesson. Lesson 227. This is my holy instant of release. Father, it is today that I am free because my will is yours. I thought to make another will, yet nothing that I thought apart from you exists. And I am free because I was mistaken and did not affect my own reality at all by my illusions. Now I give them up and lay them down before the feet of truth to be removed forever from my mind. This is <coughs> my holy instant of release. <coughs> Father, I know my will is one with yours. And so today we find our glad return to heaven, which we never really left. The Son of God this day lays down his dreams. <clears throat> the Son of God this day comes home again, released from sin and clad in holiness, and his right mind restored to him at last. We'll take a moment and reflect on this. Lesson 227. This is my holy instant of release.
Lesson 227, this is my holy instant of release. Father, it is today that I am free, because my will is yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fran. So nicely done. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Fran, as always. Beautiful. Uh, Thank you. Great job. Thank you, Fran. Yes, thank you, Fran. The simplicity of the last line in this lesson is um, um, really appealing to me. The Son of God this day comes home again. How so? Because I'm released from sin. Do you see how if I were released from sin according to this work, the direct consequence would be that I'm clad in holiness? What is there other than some contemplation of mine of of reason or justification for imagining myself less than holy or you less than holy that would make it appear that we're clad in anything short of holiness it's a great phrase I'm clad in holiness what is there that wouldn't be clad in holiness but for my judgments against it what is there that would simply be uh, neutral or that would be un- unworthy of, of love's um, assignment of holiness in, in perfect reflection of my own holiness? What would my, lo- my heart not, not leap to join with and ascribe um, union with me toward it's a it's just um it's a it's just a wonderful phrase and then to seal the deal he makes it rather than just lofty talk he brings it right back to practicality all of this is because my right mind is restored to me at last it's all that has to happen Nothing has to disappear. Nothing has to flash. No fireworks. Just the Son of God is home again because my right mind is restored to me at last. Everything short of what he claims is available to me in, um, in direct recognition of the truth in me. Everything short of that was because some part of my mind splintered away from recognition of the truth and my awareness tracked with the part of the mind that splintered away. Which, which by the way, is the same as his mention in the reading today that a stranger walked in 
um, who will walk out again. When my mind splintered away from access to wholeness, when I lost, when my awareness lost access to my right mind, all that happened was a little segment of my mind gave birth to the ego's thought system. And you could say, into my life strode the ego as a stranger who strode into my life and began counseling me, counseling what I am about the nature of what I am and what everything is. And it's this stranger it, that is the interloper. It's the ego who wandered in and will wander out when the mind and heart are healed that I don't need to listen to anymore. Um, the Son of God this day comes home again, released from sin, clad in holiness, with his right mind restored to him at last. Boy, I'm in. I'm complete. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Thank you, yeah. Lee. Thank you so much, Lee. Love it. Yes, good morning. Please. Good morning, Islana. Um, as I read this section today, and, and I love the lesson as well, it, it took me all the way back to the beginning of the early lessons and the early readings. Um, it took me back to where God, you know, where Jesus told me who I was. I was a thought in the mind of God. I was an idea in the mind of God. And somewhere along the way, um, I thought I was somebody else. I forgot who I was. You know, God doesn't have a separate brain for me. I am in his mind. So the only thoughts I can have are his thoughts. They're the only true thoughts. I'm in his mind. His mind is the truth of me. And so when I made up when, when the idea of the ego thought system became real to me, I forgot that, and I thought I had a separate mind from God. But even with that, as Lee shared, that um, he was a stranger, but my right mind still contains, thanks to my Holy Spirit, the remembrance of my truth. It's all still perceptual, but at least I'm perceiving rightly when I remember my truth. You know, back in the 70s, way before I, you know, found The Course in Miracles, the facilitator asked me, or asked all of us, a really fundamental question. It says, if you believe you are your thoughts, in other words, you said, if you believe, if you identify with your ego thought system, your thinking mind, who's the one that's listening to it? And it just opened up a door for me. If I'm not my thoughts, then who am I? And over time, it became clear to me that I was just the pure awareness of them. And I, that awareness always had a choice whether to align with those thoughts, believe them real, and many times frighten myself, or be present with God and listen to the thoughts that spirit, that Holy Spirit would deliver to my mind. No thinking required. 
they just showed up and um and I only had access to that when I abandoned, or as Jesus says <laughs> in the earth text really funny, the only thing to do in the desert is to leave. When I leave the ego thought system, or when I still my mind in present awareness of God here and now in this holy instant, what the when I as I abandon the thought system of the ego, all those fearful, frightening thoughts disappear because I'm not feeding them. I'm not acknowledging it or giving it a false reality. So it it's truly a blessing to know I have a choice. And it's all about where I point my awareness, where I focus my attention, and where I um, am present, what I'm present with. And um, it doesn't require time traveling to pass regrets or future worries or judgments or interpretations. It just is like that beautiful part of the forgiveness um, essay at the beginning of the section of the lesson. Forgiveness does nothing. It simply looks and I don't remember the words, but it's, it, it's a, it refers to a stillness of mind. And I don't even have to worry about stilling my mind or how to do that because when my awareness, my focus and attention are present with God, the ego thought system naturally will silence itself. The only thing that gives it um, a false reality is my engaging it, is my thinking mind. <laughs> How could I ever think apart from God? It's just not possible. I'm in his mind. I already have his thoughts that are true. But as long as I'm listening to the thoughts, my ego thought system shows up, show up, then I will frighten myself. But yet when I ask do forgiveness, it, it is that... Um, adjustment you know there's adjustment back to right-mindedness and that needs no more adjustments that's just is and and that's where I find my peace that's what maintains my peace no matter what shows up in this silly world <laughs> sometimes the perception of my, my silly perceptions my scary perceptions I just have to return my mind to God or my, I should say, I should just have to return my awareness to God in this present moment. So that's all I wanted to share. I'm complete. A lovely reading. That's really yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lana. Very nice. Thank you, Lana. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Good. <laughs> with thoughts of the section itself there's an interesting correlation between that that I um, featured in the in the lesson and the use of a phrase that only appears the word holy appears exactly 1500 times in the Course in Miracles 
1,500 times. The phrase, the holy, appears only in this section. That last sentence of the lesson that I was speaking of before spoke of spoke of my recognizing that I'm clad in holiness and that so are you. If I no longer hold anything against you, I see you clad in holiness. That makes of you the holy. You remember where that came up in this section? After he says, have you not wondered what the world is really like? How it would look through happy eyes? The world you see is but a judgment on yourself. It is not there at all. Yet judgment lays a sentence on it, justifies it, and makes it real. Such is the world you see, a judgment on yourself and made by you. Then he says in 21, who in a holy relationship can long remain unholy? He begins to speak of us now as having recognized being clad in holiness, and he refers to us as the holy. When he says the world, the holy see, is one with them. Just as the world the ego looks upon is like itself. The world the holy see is beautiful because they see their innocence in it. They didn't tell it what it was. They didn't make adjustments to fit their orders. They gently questioned it and whispered, what are you? And asked of the world, what are you? And he who watches over all perception answered, take not the judgment of the world as answer to the question, what am I? Isn't that interesting? If there's a matching set of what I believe myself to be or what I believe about my guilt or innocence, if there's a matching set between what I believe about myself and what I relate to the world as being, then it's clear the ego is going to relate to a world that he describes in this section because I can't... He describes why it would be that when I feel... Um, smudged or um, blemished that the world I relate to gets projected as though outside and separate from me. But that the world, the holy see, those who know their innocence are one with them. In this course, it also speaks about there's a world unreal that you perceive as though outside and separate from yourself. That world is entirely in your mind. And he has told me in this section, that world that reflects my mistaken notions about my nature is entirely in my mind. And he says in that section of the course, the real world must be in your mind as well. 
that real world that reflects perfectly my innocence and my holiness doesn't need to be projected as though outside and separate from me. It's a world my mind and heart join easily with. Just an easy union. It's just an easy union. There's so much that's so cool about this particular section. One has to get past its title and this introduction of the idea of adjustment. There's nothing sexy about the word adjustment. <laughs> and and I'll tell you the truth, that kept me from really welcoming opening the page on this section for for years. Sin as an adjustment. Ooh, um, but boy, when you read it and you recognize he's saying, Lord Almighty, there is reality in every moment that abides and welcomes my attention and my recognition and my acknowledgement. And then there's a little part, a little renegade in my mind that splintered away from that opportunity to sit with reality and have reality whisper to me what I am and whisper to me what the world is. There is that abiding reality. Its nature is innocence and holiness. And this little splintered part of my mind says, no, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to tell myself what I am. And I'm going to tell myself what the world's about. And I'm going to launch off into an egoic hero's journey of, of uh, judgment and drama. Judgment and drama, judgment and drama. Snatching a little little pieces of happiness or joy or love here and there, but mostly judgment and drama, guilt, regret, grievance, all of that, the doing of that little part of me that he says as, um, is the only part in all the seeing universe that is blind to reality. So... Um, let me just settle with this. The idea of adjustment has one meaning to me. There is on offer, according to this course, a part of my mind that he calls the right mind that has the opportunity to perfectly align with the truth of what I am and the glorious truth of everything as it is in truth. Reality is kind, he tells me over and over in this course, and rejects nothing and fears nothing. Am I ready to just open my heart to the idea that there is reality beckoning me? And the only thing that stands in the way of that is this part of me that has in response to the offer of reality, said, no, I would rather take reality and mold it a little to my better liking. In which case, in order to have reality appear what I think a little superior or a little better suited, I then need to defend against the truth 
of what I've adjusted to make suit me better. I now take reality as my enemy because I've invested in a process where I adjust your innocent nature to suit my grievances. I adjust the world's innocent nature to suit my grievance against fate or the past or my family. I have to adjust reality in order to justify my unforgiveness. That's the beautiful tie-in. That's what forgiveness does. Offers me the opportunity to get out of the judging business and allow everything be exactly as it is. This section describes that perfectly, and I am complete. Thanks, guys. Get out of the judging business. Thanks, Lee. Uh, thank you, Lee. Oh, thank you, Lee. Oh, great. everyone. It's Jude. I'm sorry I joined you a little bit late, but I'm glad I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad we're all here. And um just love this. I am free business because my will is God's will. I thought to make another will. And um you know that that line in the in the end of the exercise today that the Son of God this day lays down her dreams, the dreams of interpreting and distorting my concept of myself and disowning, dis- dissociating, um, denying how God created me to be. And, you know, that took, that took quite a bit for me, um, allowing the, the Holy Spirit to to judge things for me, to correct my perception, correct my perception of myself. And um, I came in right before the, the lesson, and I heard someone, I think it was Sandra, share about doing inventory. And that's, um, you know, that exploration, that investigation of what I am in truth with with the loving and um, objective eyes of Christ aiding me, the loving, objective, tender, you know, non-judgmental, non-critical eyes of the Holy Spirit guiding me to see the truth of who I am within myself and how, how I am related to my Father and holiness and purity, and innocence, and accepting, accepting and recognizing the truth, and not arguing with it, not disagreeing with him, 
um, and trying to live my life in that way, express myself in that way, by never justifying anger, not putting a, a single thought that I would hold between myself and my brothers and my sisters in, in, in disagreement or um, to separate me from my, from my knowing that I am one-minded with them. There's nothing I would do to disturb the peace or, or take someone's joy from them. You know, telling them they're right when, you know, it may be obvious to me that they're wrong, but letting it go and, and seeing what re- and recognizing what really doesn't matter. And that holy, holy, uh, wholesome with the W, that um, the unicity of the power of grace that keeps me at peace and, and enables me to see the perfection, see the spirit, the light, the light of uh, seeing through ageless eyes that sees the ageless eyes in others as, as them being spirit as one with me. And the choice to see people as spirit and not as the body is the ticket. Because if there's no bodies, there's absolutely nothing to judge. What could I see? Seeing spirit is formless. It's light. It's boundaryless. It's limitless. There's no limit or edge. There's no separation in spirit. But that choice is one of a disciplined mind. And it's easy to judge the body. Hey, you know, I wouldn't be caught dead in that outfit that used to work well for me. <laughs> but I laugh at such judgments now. And to take an inventory of myself, the courses, is absurd. I cannot judge. If I don't know who and what I am, I can't judge it because I don't know what it is. I think I know what it is, and then I think I'm judging it. But the truth of what I am is so glorious and so generous and honest and kind and, 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 and tolerant and loving and nothing but goodness. What's there to judge against? The truth and, and the glory and the beauty of what we are is beyond judgment. It's it <laughs> now I'm, sta- I'm at a standstill, but the um, this adjustment business, um, choosing choosing to slice and dice reality and not see that God's in everything, um, not recognizing, not recognizing, not recognizing, denying, ignoring that God is in. And permeates his eminent his eminence in the beauty of the world is is obvious, and you know the mystery of of contemplating the transcendence of it just raises me up and up and up, and sometimes I feel like I'm flying. So, here go, here I go, kids. Glad you're here, and have a holy, holy day. Holy relationships, holy instance, holy encounters. Let the God in you be God, and let the God in you meet God in everything and everybody else. <laughs> Amen. I'm complete.
Oh, thank you, Judy. Holy cow. Holy cow. That was great, Judy. Amen. You send me off. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you. Oh, have Bye. a beautiful day, Robin Marie. Bye, Robin Marie. Thank you. Miracles. Read your miracles. Uh, this is Micah. I, uh, I, I'm just amazed that, that, that where we are in, in this expression of life is so astounding in the age that we're in where we can be we can come across literature like this and, and I and just then I was thinking how, about how Shakespeare lamented the fact that he had nobody in his prose writing he, he mentioned how he had nobody to speak to about that this was a dream you know, and yet how we have this book and, and we're able to enter dialogue on such deep levels and uh, and our observations are getting with a scale that are astounding. Some of the shares that people were, you know, where where our awareness has lifted to is, is just uh, incredible. And so it's with that kind of gratitude I... Um, you know, I'm looking at this section, and and um, let's see here. Where would we start? Um, and I liked how, uh, you know, in paragraph 18, it says, you make the, the world and then adjust to it and it to you. And a little further on in 19, you made this up, he says. Um and then in 20, have you not wondered what the world is really like, how it would look through happy eyes? And when that was read, what, wondered what the world is really like, uh, it took me right to that one of, one of the moments in my life with the most clarity where the awareness lifted out of body identification and suddenly was able to experience the multidimensional nature of mind. And it held, and it was a unified mind, and it held the dream of the, uh, the headlands and the ocean and, and the, my body, the body walking. With, and all of it was consciousness. All of it was uh, thought. And, and Micah was thought. And it was, but it was a had a multi-dimensional nature to its creation, and it was very creative. And um, the, uh, the I I kind of wanted to highlight a little bit of that here with from the way of mastery. I've, I've read it before, but it kind of highlights that the idea that consciousness is the source of what appears to be a physical world and um, and we are thought in the mind of God. And uh, and I came across this quote t- today about, you know, accept your, your rightful place as co-creator of the universe. And, and this time when I read that, 
it was like it's an ongoing second by second co-creation that our true self is doing one with the father son and holy ghost uh, that that uh, it because this world this whole playful universe is consciousness and um it's an ongoing creation dream but anyway it says here from the way of mastery if you exist you must be in the mind of god oh, let's see that you must be in the mind of god that perfect power by which all things arise and pass away god's creation occurs nowhere that is it has no location the planet Earth, the bodies that inhabit it, the physical universe in which the planet is spinning about, all of these things are not not unlike what you experience when you close your eyes and imagine having ice cream. You create the image. You have the experience. You see yourself giving the cashier your money, you eat the ice cream, you can see yourself uh, smile, you can feel it it move down into your belly. Where did all that exist? Could it, could uh, let me see, could anybody find it outside the power of consciousness to create? Could anybody find it outside the power of consciousness to create? No. You are like the ice cream in the mind of God. God sees itself appearing as you, doing exactly what you are doing in each and every moment. And this, uh, I mean, that's just one little lens of this multidimensional, rich dimension that we're in. And I, I was out the other evening uh you know, just kind of holding space and blessing um, at a restaurant. And, it, you know, it was a beautiful day. You know, there was the tables by this river and and uh, seagulls flying by and, and all these tables filled with people who were animated. And I, I came across this quote uh, from A Course of Love. And it, and it gives another glimpse, another lens to look at our experience here. And it, the quote is, uh, well, there were two of them. The first one is, feel the love of the space that is you. All obstacles will vanish. Feel the love of the space that is you all obstacles will vanish. And so I moved out of, suddenly I'd lifted out, the awareness more lifted out of body identification and just felt this field of love all around. But the next quote is where it got really mysterious. He said, Jesus says, the love that is found in the relationships of the one self with the many is the love of God. So I'm looking around at all these tables and all these people, and then and then suddenly I'm feeling the one self. And it says the love that is found in the relationships 
of the one self with the many is the love of God. There is no other love. God's love is constantly being given, received, and felt in relationship. The whole place was filled with relationships. People among people, the birds flying by, the trees, the sunlight. God's love is your love. Your love is the love of God. God is love. And, and, and so it's on this dance floor of awakening, you know, here's a whole different realm of experience. You know, isn't it rich? The, you know, and then, Len, I just loved how you highlighted awareness as what we are. You know, and that's another movement on the dance floor of awakening. I really appreciated that. And I, I guess I'll stop now, but there's, there's more stuff. But um, I just love how he highlighted unity in paragraph. It's, I think it's one of the best paragraphs on unity uh, in, in the book. Well, maybe I'll just read that real quick. It's, okay. Here there is only holiness and joining without limit. For what is heaven but union, direct and perfect, and without the veil of fear upon it? Here are we one, looking with perfect gentleness upon each other and on ourselves. And I, and I loved how he, he tied it into our relationship to him at the end, where um, he says, And here would I unite with you, my friends, my brothers, and myself. And that's the self we share. The, the, well, unity is so seamless. It's so deep. Okay, I'm done. I know there's other people. Bye. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Micah. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Micah. Thank, thank you, Micah. you so much, Micah. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And what a happy section <laughs> once you get past adjustment, huh? Um, I, I wanted to um, wanted to say that this lesson this morning um, is is the entire atonement and accepting the atonement for myself. Um, and, and you know, when I had that experience, I did not realize that my will is yours. I did not realize that I was saying to my father, my will is yours. It actually wasn't even part of the equation of receiving that perfection. Um, and so when he says freedom, prisoner is bound in chains for so long it takes him a while to realize what freedom is. And um, and so I love this lesson because it puts that uh, cherry on the top of what the atonement is. It returns to me the knowledge that my will is God's, God's will is mine. I thought to make another will, and now I know I was mistaken. Um... It contains a lot of different lessons are nested right in the middle of this one. 
that enjoins us to accept the truth of what we are. And it's so simple. I agree because I was mistaken. And now I lay down my illusions. Sin is an adjustment. Is um, I read it today as um, because I believed that it was possible to be separate from God. I had to make the world I see. And everything I saw was a consequence of that making. That's why the atonement is my freedom. It frees me from the self-condemnation that I had within my mind that caused me to want to project all my suffering onto the world because I believed I was less than perfect. Uh, a mind can't live like that. And so mind projects. It's, it's law of mind. He says mind must project. It can project either the truth or it can project error. And so <laughs> here's a really good quote for that. And, and it just is so perfect. Way back in chapter 2, he says, in, in the section, Healing as Release from Fear, he says it's essential to remember that only the mind can create. Implicit in this corollary is that correction belongs at the thought level. Thank you for that, Lana. To repeat an earlier statement and extend it somewhat, here's the truth. The soul is already perfect and therefore does not require correction. The body does not really exist except as a learning device for the mind. This learning device is not subject to errors of its own because it was created, but is not creating. So it's obvious then that correcting the creator or inducing it to give up its miscreations it's the only application of creative ability which is truly meaningful. And that right there is the essence of today's lesson. When I allow my mind to be corrected, a wonderful new world opens up to me. The world the Holy See reflects the holiness within. When my mind is corrected by acceptance of the atonement, I'm restored. I am restored entirely to my original state. The soul is already perfect. Now I know what it means. I'm free because I was mistaken. I give up my illusions. And now I know my will is one with yours. And that's not such a big reach. If you consider Psalm 101, um, God wills perfect happiness for me. And 102, I share God's will for happiness for me. And 103, God being love is also happiness. You know, when I'm happy, when I'm restored to my original state, when I'm home again, when I'm clad in holiness and my right mind is restored to me, I am so friggin' happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I can live that way. I can live that way. And happiness 
this state of perfection in my mind when I've given up my errors I have nothing less nothing left that I need project upon the world I can see it truly because I didn't know what I was I didn't know what the world was I believed in sin and I cast I projected my beliefs upon the world and saw it as a place for me to suffer to suffer and have pain and grief and loss and you know all those things <laughs> you know all those things the other thing I really liked about this lesson is the way he highlights direct relationships a direct relationship is the relationship that exists between holiness and everything else is holy holiness must be shared he says therein lies everything that makes it holy if it's not shared if the atonement is incomplete if one if one living thing is left out of my awareness of unity with me I'm incomplete God's incomplete and I've negated the entire correction of my mind there's only two thought systems the thought system of the ego based on the belief in sin fear and guilt and the thought system of truth and truth will be whole or it won't be truth at all um, let's see I really liked paragraph 22 the world you see is a judgment on yourself when I'm released oh, I give release how many lessons do we have about that you know I really like paragraph 24 too if I ever wonder what's the purpose of a holy relationship um, or what is a holy relationship paragraph 24 has a perfect definition you meet with joy to bless and be thankful for all the happiness held out to me you recognize each other as the gift of God to you you remember that quote your brother is sacrament and benediction unto you restores my, my holiness the wholeness of a healed mind um, holiness shines to bless the other you know isn't that a beautiful definition of holy relationship so anyway I think finally finally I want to uh, just touch on forgiveness when I accept the atonement for myself what I've accepted is a lesson in sharing the atonement as a lesson in sharing um, if I don't share the forgiveness I've received with the world with you my brothers with my holy relationship partner and every relationship is holy if I don't share that forgiveness with the world I lose my awareness of my own holiness 
that's why forgiveness is God's gift to me um, it's a gift I give to my mind to protect my holiness holiness um, can only be protected by forgiveness and forgiveness restores the right relationship I have with creation to my mind it's God's gift to my mind <laughs> and um, and so forgiveness looks and waits and judges not and the Holy Spirit will restore truth to my mind when I'm willing to give up my illusions um, anyway it's the whole package this section has the whole package and I love it as my release from the need to project my errors and rather project the truth I'm complete oh thanks for that oh that's great sorry thank you thank you oh, fine thank you Lori. oh you guys are kind I had different ideas about where this where this call would close today but y'all brought to my mind uh, this instead is from chapter 25 in the section called the joining of minds two paragraphs if you'll indulge me you makers of a world that is not so take rest and comfort in another word world where peace abides this world you bring with you to all the weary eyes and tired hearts that look on sin and beat its sad refrain from you can come their rest from you can rise a world they will rejoice to look upon and where their hearts are glad in you there is a vision which extends to all of them and covers them in gentleness and light and in this widening world of light the darkness they thought was theirs pushed away until it is but distant shadows far away not long to be remembered as the Sun shines them to nothingness and all their so-called evil thoughts and sinful hopes their dreams of guilt and merciless revenge and every wish to hurt and kill and die will disappear before the Sun you bring would you not do this for the love of God and for yourself for think what it would do for you your so-called evil thoughts that haunt you now will seem increasingly remote and far away from you and they go farther and farther off because the Sun in you has risen that they might be pushed away before the light they linger for a while a little while in twisted forms too far away for recognition and are gone forever and in the sunlight you will stand in quiet and innocence and wholly unafraid and from you will the rest you found extend so that your peace can never fall away and leave you homeless those who offer peace to everyone have found a home in heaven the world cannot destroy for it is large enough to hold the world within its peace in you is all of heaven what a glorious promise in this instant of release amen thank you all thank you Lori thank you everyone yeah, today. thank you thank, thank you, you Lori everyone, everybody. beautiful Lori amen
Thanks, everyone. Love you.